Hi, welcome to the Medicaid Transformation Podcast. This is David Smith, and I'm the Medicaid Transformation Project Executive at Avia, and the voice you will hear throughout this new series of conversations with incredible healthcare leaders across the country. Special thanks to Ziegler, an innovative investment bank focused on healthcare, which is a sponsor of this podcast. This is our inaugural episode where we are beyond delighted to have had an opportunity to spend some time with Dr. Mandy Cohen. Dr. Cohen uh, was appointed to the role of Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services in January 2017 by Governor Roy Cooper. For those that follow Medicaid across the country, uh, Dr. Cohen's name is not unfamiliar to you. She has shepherded some really interesting and remarkable reforms uh, making North Carolina one of the most unique states in the country, uh, pushing the conventional boundaries of the Medicaid program in a somewhat uh, tricky political environment. Uh, she seeks to not only drive alignment in the state and at the government level, uh, but also try to, to drive a, an improved uh, form of coordination with stakeholders in the state to better serve the vulnerable and uh, and others who have less access to traditional services. A few things uh, about the department that Mandy leads and, and her background. Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services in the state has 17,000 employees and an annual budget of $20 billion, uh, serving as the home to North Carolina Medicaid, Public Health, Mental Health, IDD, SUD, state-operated hospitals and facilities, economic services, adult and child services, early childhood education, employment services, and health services regulation. One of the things Dr. Cohen and I had an opportunity to talk about on the call was her efforts to try to align those various programs to be sure the the state and the North Carolina taxpayer uh, were getting the greatest value out of the investment being made in these programs. Uh, Secretary Cohen is an internal medicine physician by training and has experience leading complex health organizations. You'll hear this uh, reference several times throughout our discussion. Prior to her, her appointment at the Department of Health and Human Services, she was the chief operating officer and chief of staff at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where her responsibilities included implementing policies for Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the Children's Health Insurance Program, and the Federal Health Insurance Marketplace. Uh, we have several really exciting interviews coming up, but uh, I'd be lying if I didn't confess that this was one interview that, that I was quite enthusiastic about uh, being able to conduct. I, I had an incredible conversation with Dr. Cohen, and I believe you'll enjoy the, the, the exchange. Here it is. Secretary Cohen, thank you for taking the time this afternoon to speak with us. Um, I know I've relayed to you that this is our uh, maiden Medicaid transformation project pro podcast, and uh, so we're, we're delighted to hear from you and a bit about the things you're doing here in North Carolina that, uh, that I think that we think are going to set a really important foundation for um, Medicaid through the rest of the country. So plenty that we're eager to talk about, but let's just start by talking a little bit about you and your journey to North Carolina. and. Uh, Maybe talk through uh, med school for a moment and your beginning of government service and how you ended up here. 
Great. Well, first, David, thank you. It's an honor to be the first guest on your podcast <laughs> and that you're highlighting the work in North Carolina. Obviously, I'm very proud of um, where we are, and we're just at the beginning of that journey that we'll talk through, but uh, thanks for coming down here to steamy North Carolina um, to, to talk through some of what we're doing. But, you know, the way I came to North Carolina, I'm not from here. I'm from New York originally, um, and I got into public service uh, early on, actually before I went to medical school, I worked on Capitol Hill. Um, I worked for what is now the Health Education Labor Pension Committee as, a, as an intern uh, while I was still in college. Um, it was uh, then the ranking member was the late Senator Kennedy. I worked for David Nexon, who was there, who had been on the Hill for a very long time, Sibel Bjorklund, some big names in health policy. So I got to uh, learn a lot. It was when some of the HIPAA regulations were going through and some other big pieces of, of, of law that really changed medicine. And I, was, I had this notion back when I was 20 that I, I was pre-med and I was like, well, what if I go to medical school <laughs> and then and then meld this whole policy politics thing together. Is that a real thing? Uh, <laughs> and hey, here we are uh, 20 plus years later and it's worked out You've been pretty, validated. Well, yeah. pretty good. <laughs> um, and it's been you know, a, a career that's taken a lot of turns, but I think started, you know, always felt very connected to and committed to public service. Um, from very early on, saw that as a mechanism to impact change at scale. Um, and to really think about um, how I think government can do hard things. Um, and I've had the opportunity both at the federal level and here at the state, I think, to, to uh, take on some, some challenging things. So I, medical school at Yale, public health um, degree from Harvard, and then um, trained at Mass General in internal medicine. And my first job um, out of um, uh, out of residency was actually for the VA, so wanted to always do public service, and so it was first the central office VA, and it was a mix of policy work and clinical work, and um, helping them think about how you integrate women's health into the VA. For a long time, there weren't a lot of women, and then all of a sudden, there were a lot of women in yeah. the service, and it ballooned, and so it was um, a really interesting period of time, but then then health reform came onto the scene and I was like, I need to be part of that. And while the VA was some part of it, it wasn't the central piece, um, I um, helped start an organization, Doctors for America. Um, and then after that role in the Affordable Care Act passed, I went and took my first job at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And I was employee number seven or eight at the Innovation Center. Um, that is now uh, grown up into this incredible organization that has been really driving change um, from that little tiny crystal of an idea in the Affordable Care Act. So that was exciting. So that was my first job at CMS, and then I had many jobs at CMS over my time there, seven, seven years I was there. Seven years, probably seven jobs. <laughs> uh, and incredible time there from from seeing the Innovation Center grow and then moving over to doing work on, on the exchanges. And so when everything didn't go well with healthcare.gov, um, October 1st, 2013, yes, I remember that day and I remember it well. Um, when when healthcare.gov did not go well, I got pulled into exchange work, which was amazing and so I'm hard. <laughs> and. Uh, but was incredible opportunity for me to learn in an, an entirely new space. 
um, and then spent the last two years of the Obama administration working for Andy Slavitt at his chief of staff and chief operating officer at CMS and then got to go back and see the whole portfolio of CMS, which was just an incredible um, opportunity um, to see, see across that work. And then when the Obama administration ended, I thought I was done with public service. I was pretty tired. It was a lot of years, a lot of work, really fantastic work. Um, but then I got a call for some very nice folks in North Carolina <laughs> who said, hey, have you, have you ever thought about Raleigh? And I said, no, <laughs> but say more. And they're like, well, Governor Cooper is fleshing out his cabinet and we'd love to talk to you about a role in, uh, as Secretary of Health and Human Services. And it was less than two or three weeks later that uh, the governor offered me the job and I accepted. And it was quite a whirlwind. Um, but why I came to North Carolina, because I thought it was, I saw an incredible opportunity here in the state. Um, I think it has incredible um, health system institutions, academic institutions, um, and a, an interesting insurance market, which I'm sure we'll get into. And they were also making a big change in their Medicaid program. They're about to switch over to managed care. So there was just a lot of change, and I, I felt a sense of opportunity. Obviously, the governor also wanted to take the state um, um, and expand the Medicaid program, which is something I spend a lot of my time still working on with our General Assembly to get over over that hurdle to to expand Medicaid. So all those things made me say, you know what, I'm not done <laughs> with public service, um, and brought me here to North Carolina, and it's been an incredible journey here, and I feel so fortunate to have um, landed in a place in a state that is that is in this moment of change and be able to think about, well, how do I help um, bring my experience from the federal level, my experience as a physician uh, here to the state and, and drive change to build a healthier state. Um, it's been, been incredible. Uh, I, th I think it's, it's a, number one, what an amazing background and story and just arc. And um, it's actually I'm interesting. Very lucky. Very lucky. Well, it, it's, it's interesting to hear you describe the conclusion of your CMS experience and, and having this feeling of, of being done and then starting to think of what would come next. Because as you describe this professional arc, you, you hear these experiences that have really kind of given you this, as you just described a minute ago, this multifaceted view of the system mm -hmm. and of patients and of the challenges we have. And it, and it feels like as you describe what the governor was explaining regarding North Carolina, that, the, that this opportunity very much um, was almost made for that kind of professional arc that you described. I feel like this is the perfect role for me personally, and I'm so, I'm so honored to be in this role, and I think it does draw on all of the strengths and the things that I've been thinking about and, and executing on um, since before I even started my career. And so it's, it's, very, it's very gratifying, and uh, I've also had a lot of great teachers and mentors along the way that have allowed me to learn and shape my thinking on how we are moving forward that have helped me, whether it's in the everyday tasks of how do you move an organization forward in an aligned way to, well, what's that big vision and where are we all headed and um, what, what does that look like? Um, and I don't think I am a, at all a big creative thinker. I'm actually, I, I think of myself much more pragmatic in 
in the how, how do you be really tactical about big ideas? If you want to build towards health, like what are those very practical first steps that you need to take? Um, so I, I think that I'm lucky, right, right time with uh, this opportunity of change to see how we can move a whole state forward. And it's been exciting to go from the federal level to the state level. You definitely feel a lot closer to the, to the work in some ways, a lot, certainly a lot closer to the problems. Um, and you can see them with a lot more clarity. Um, I think at the state level, um, and it is it has allowed me to really shape my thinking on on how do you think about comprehensive change um, and using all of the levers and all of the partners across things to really align around change. And I have a very different view of that than I had at CMS, which you know it's it's a big player, but I think it I was isolated in my thinking about CMS, um, as opposed to thinking about all the levers that existed within Health and Human Services. Um, I, here as the Secretary of Health and Human Services, I'm actually able to see across not just Medicaid, which is a huge lever, but we also um, you know, run early childhood education, right? And um, all the social services and how we run SNAP and LIHEAP and TANF and how those programs fit into driving towards health as well. And so it's been a fun and fantastic opportunity to think about all of these amazing levers across this mega agency that I have the opportunity to run. And how do you, how do you point all of those programs in the same direction? Um, even before we start to think about the hospitals out there or the other insurance companies, the other players in the market, how do I even look at my own department and use all of the levers that we have here in a more strategic and aligned way? And so that was my first order of business, is how do we get ourselves aligned? And we're still working on it um, two and a half years in, um, but I think we've made a ton of progress. Well, I want to dig in. Um, I want to dig in deeper to, to that. I actually want to maybe raise two things. The, the first, I'd love to just, I'd love to ground some of our conversation um, just in the way you frame and see the world and you think about um, vulnerability, the way you see and think about patients. One of the, the things I've heard you speak about, you describe a 24-year-old woman named Brenda mm -hmm. uh, who you had seen mm -hmm. as, a, as a physician, and Brenda came in uh, I think reporting of, of some physical ailments, hair loss, weight loss, and things of that nature. And mm -hmm. so um, I think you described that you did a battery of different tests and um, you know, expensive tests, and the test came back um, uh, physiologically inconclusive. And so that led you down a route to say, well, something there's some causal factor to this. You just talk a little bit about like how has your thinking about vulnerability in this country, in this state, been, sh been been influenced by your experiences or or like that that type of experience mm -hmm. with a Brenda. Yeah, so yes, I talk about this patient and my experience here a lot because it's it's actually a place where I did everything wrong, um, and where I think the the system is, but but yet I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't not. I clearly I, I think I went to some good schools. Shout out to Harvard and Yale, but like, right, and, and that. But I had this patient who came in. Um, for for those of you who have not heard the story, I had a patient who came in with you know, vague complaints of weight loss and hair loss, and um, I ordered, as as you said, a lot of tests, expensive ones, because I was a young doctor, I was still a resident, so you kind of order too many tests. Um, all came back normal. 
I was about to send her, oh, I scanned her belly too because I thought maybe she had something going on, GI, her CAT scan was normal. I was about to send her to the specialist when the nurse tech who checked in the patient, you know, brings you the vital sheet. And I, she brings it over to me as I'm debating with my preceptor, what, what specialists should I send my patient to? Because I knew some, she looked ill. So I wanted to, I, I knew we weren't at the end of the road. She comes over and gives me the vital sheet and she says, you know, I think you need to ask your patient if she has enough to eat. Ugh. And I, like I, every time I talk about it, it brings me back to this moment of, it was honestly an, embarrassed, like I was embarrassed that how many years of medical school and training that my nurse tech had to come over and tell me, you haven't asked your patient about something fundamental to her health, um, right? Um, then the second part was, oh my God, she, she's hungry and I caused that, or I, I let that go on for eight weeks, dithering around with lab tests and CAT scans with, the girl needed a, a meal. And, and so it was, it was both embarrassing and soul crushing in that I was like doing all the wrong things as a doctor. So I spent a lot of money and didn't help her at all. And when I went back in and we, I was able to basically ask, you know, a very unstandardized question of like, do you have any, you know, what's going on at home? Like that was the best I could sort of muster in that moment. You know, she finally, I think she, she finally was putting together the cognitive dissonance, dissonance that she had um, about her health and her, and her, what was going on in her personal life. She had, she had left an abusive relationship and she was essentially couch surfing and living in, out of her car. All of her money was going to tuition. She was a full-time student, um, but she had private health insurance, right? And so me as a doctor, I saw private health insurance and sort of this very put-together young woman. I was like, I would never ask her about food insecurity. <laughs> like, it didn't even occur yeah. to me. And, and it just makes me realize as a public official who's now sitting in this role as Secretary of Health and Human Services, right? I spent a lot of money and didn't ask someone about health I need to think more broadly, both as a doctor and as a systems thinker, about what drives health. And are we both asking the right questions as well as incentivizing the right uh, pieces of the puzzle here to actually get what we want out of the system, right? We don't want to just get healthcare out of the system. We want to get health, right? At the end of the day, what do I really want to buy? for my patient Brenda, or for myself, or for my family, or for the people of North Carolina that we serve, I don't wanna just buy them healthcare, I wanna buy them health. Now, healthcare is a means to get there, but there are other things that I need to buy for them in order for them to be healthy. Sometimes it's gonna be a doctor's visit, but oftentimes it's not. And research has shown us this, and it's like the other things that you need to spend your money on around food and transportation and housing, um, and making sure that we're asking about employment and, and safety at home, all of those things matter towards someone's health. But then how do you take that 100 million foot view of like, okay, that notion of driving towards health and drive it down into some very tactical um, and practical <laughs> applications in our, our, in our crazy healthcare system out there, right? And so that's what I think that I've been able to do is go from that view of, okay, I wanna buy health, right? I'm a payer, I pay for a lot of things, I, but at the end of the day, what do I value, right? We talk a lot about value-based care. I value health for, for the folks that we serve. And so if I really wanna drive towards that health, 
and that is what I value, I have to buy certain things. And I think in terms of what we buy right now, we've, we, I don't think we're buying things as strategically as we should. Um, it doesn't mean that doctors aren't doing the right things or the hospitals aren't doing, right? They're, they're all caught in the system in which they play, but we, need to, we as payers need to step back and say, well, this is what I value and I value health. What are the things I need to buy with the, with the resources we have? And then how do we practically align ourselves to do that? And that's what we are, are trying to do in a lot of different ways, through our Medicaid program, through investments in, in early childhood, through using technology to, to, to knit together things. So there's a lot of things there. And so I try to take that notion of I want to buy health and turn it into a practical agenda for our state. You recently, um, I don't know how recently, but, but you recently told a, a room full of North Carolina-based company CEOs this notion of, of wanting to buy health, that you were a purchaser of health, not health care. Um, employers, obviously, are, are huge purchasers of, of health care as yes. well. How does, um, well, the, the, before I, I get to the question, the other thing I want to just add here, what, what is so interesting about the, the Brenda's story is that you know, as you said, private insurance, right? Seemingly from the outside, um, there, there's nothing unusual or salient, but that really makes the point that vulnerability knows no socioeconomic bounds. Anybody can be vulnerable at different points in yeah. time. So this message, this idea of being more attuned um, to vulnerability and then purchasing health over purchasing healthcare, like how have others in this community gravitated around those ideas, because some of that is, it's, it's very new thinking in the way we approach services and healthcare yeah. in this yeah. country. Well, I think if you go back to whether it's Don Berwick or IHI's triple aim of right, better health, better care, better uh, at lower costs, we often, we often didn't get to that better health part of the triangle. <laughs> We're kind of stuck in the better care, lower costs. And we actually need to start thinking about that yeah. other tip of the triangle a little bit out. more. And the reason I think that, that social determinants or all of this stuff is becoming the buzzword, folks have known this for years. I mean, this is not new. I am not, right. I am not yeah. uncovering a new thing. I think the term is literally 100 years <laughs> yeah, old, yeah, social determinants. Well, and, and we don't use that term here because I, I don't like it. It makes it seem like <laughs> something is fixed in, 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 a, in forever and we keep, uh, it is determined and we can't actually alter it. I don't believe that. And we, well, I think there's a lot of um, things, there are a lot of opportunities for health and that's what we call it here. It's our work around healthy opportunities. Um, but I, I think it is because, and I'm gonna go back to the Innovation Center at CMS. I think when CMS started to change payment in a real way using their market power to say, you know what? we're not going to buy pieces anymore. Fee-for-service is like, we can't live in the fee-for-service world anymore. We're going to move to these alternative payment models. Um, and when you start, when, when, that, when the incentives start to change, that's when folks really, right, you can't just philosophically change. You have to make the business model work. And so I think the change in the business model that started in the Medicare space is the reason why we're having this conversation today and why why it's the buzzword. It's why every conference is talking about it is because the underlying payment models are moving in a direction where they're saying, I value health. 
and I value those outcomes, and maybe not using my words, and and frankly, and your and your business is now dependent on it. <laughs> your business model, instead CFO of hospital, instead of you waking up every day thinking about how do I fill my beds, these new payment models are making CFO of health systems or ACOs or whatever wake up and say, wow, how do I keep folks healthy? How do I keep them, right? How do I get to my population health outcomes? And that's why we are, I think, arrived at this place of really thinking tactically about, okay, if I'm going to be in this philosophic shift and the business model is going to match me there, okay, well then I, I really need to start digging in here and like, what does this really mean? Food? Well, okay. A lot, all food to all people to all things, and you have to start to get really specific really quickly about delivery um, models, types of patients, types of services. What are we really talking about here? And I think that's that's the space, the, the exciting space. I think we're in now is like really getting beyond the hundred thousand foot conversation of, and notion of health, but to really drive towards really tailored interventions for folks to, to make sure that they're healthy. So, so to that end, I, in a minute, I want to start taking us down the path of talking a bit about the waiver and the healthy opportunities pilot and some of the work that you're doing in that space. I, I do want to stay, I want to stay in this theme for just one more minute because I, I think it's really a, it's it's a, it's an important point. You described a couple of minutes ago as being health secretary. Your range of responsibility and stewardship extends far beyond Medicaid. It's TAMF and early child education and SNAP and so on. And so I've, I've started, I've picked up this line lately that says something to the effect of we have all the resources, we have all the evidence, all the science, it's incredible workforce training, like $3.7 trillion in our health system. Like we've got plenty of, of resources at our disposal to solve a lot of these challenges. The problems that get in our way tend to be of a, soci of a sociological nature and an economic nature. And, um, and as a health secretary who is the steward of that broader mm -hmm. range of programs, mm -hmm. Secretary Cohen, how do you think about the right way to integrate and align the incentives? There's a lot of people with a lot of cheese. It's politically complicated. It's technically complicated. How do you think about bringing that together in service of the community? Yeah. It's a great question and one that we wrestled with and I mean this is this is the, the meat of the meat right of, of, of things here so one is is having clear articulation of like where you want to head um, so for us we have a vision statement that is that talks about knitting together the health sector and the community and we use that word specifically um, to optimize resources, uh, so knitting together. Because what you just said is like, we have a lot of resources in this space. What I don't think we do well is knit them together and optimize them to get the outcomes that we want. And so, well, all right, wow, this seems overwhelming. Like, where do you begin, to your point? Everyone has right. their corner of the world, and honestly, they're doing good work in their right. corner of the yeah. world. And this is not to disparage any of the good work that is going on. I have 
fantastic folks who have been doing maternal child work for, for decades and are, and are good at it, but they're doing it over in isolation from thinking about, wait a second, in the Medicaid program over here, we pay for a lot of the births here in the state, and are we thinking about our payment lever and our market power, as well as the grants we can give out through our public health department, right? And how do we bring those back together? So it's even looking within ourselves to say, how do we use our dollars in a way that can be more aligned to help help those in the world, right? They're they're siloed because we're we the payers are siloed, right? So I take on that responsibility. So my public health dollars are siloed from our Medicaid dollars, and and by nature of siloing them, have siloed the way in which folks react to us and build their businesses. And so if I want them to act different in the world, I have to act differently in the way that I start to think about our funding. It doesn't mean I need a mega waiver, but it does mean I need my teams to sit together, <laughs> sit together in the same room, strategize, prioritize, and fund in a strategic and aligned way. Right? So it starts with, I think, with, with us, the, the payers, the government, to be aligned if we want to see those in, in the ecosystem align, right? You have to look at yourself first. But then I'm going to say, ecosystem, come along with me. This is what I want to buy. I'm going to be aligned and, and I'm going to keep, I'm going to give you the same market signal <laughs> to say, do these are the things I prioritize. These are the things we care about because evidence shows us we should. Uh, that, and then and it allows them out there who are like, oh yeah, we wanted to do this anyway. Frankly, you were the barrier. <laughs> And again, I don't need a waiver to do it. I just need people to talk to each other to right. start. Um, I want to just, just yeah, on yeah, that yeah. before you keep going, I, I just want to call out really quick. I love, this should be on a quote board somewhere. <laughs> I hope it is here. They are siloed because we are siloed. And if I want them to do differently, if I want to see differences in a community, I have to act differently. Yes. Th that that is, is a really, really important <laughs> point. So I thank you. I, I but it seems so basic, right? It, 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 does, it does seem so basic, but but let me just let me pull on that for two seconds. And I think people like when people hear that, they will intrinsically get it. Like people will connect with that idea. Yeah. One of the challenges I think we have in healthcare, maybe maybe you can opine on this in just a minute, is somebody sitting from their perch will say, Well, what can I do? And that yeah, might yeah. be it might be a coder. Um, it might be the CEO of a rural hospital. Yeah. It might be the CEO of a, of an MS, of a managed care plan that has 10,000 lives. And, and they, they kind of think of that distinction between what they do and then what the Secretary of Health and Human Services of North Carolina can do. And I, there's, a, there's a question in there, Secretary Cohen, that says, because I kind of have the bias that every single one of us has a role to play in this transformation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But how do you think about that as like the convening power and bringing along that ecosystem and how, do, how should others that aren't in a North Carolina think about this kind of, um, if, I'm, if, if, we're, if they, they are siloed because we are siloed? Yeah, well I think one of the other things I would add to that is, is that, that one of the great things about North Carolina why I think we are getting attention is because I am trying to be less siloed here and, and sitting in the government space, but we're also trying to be aligned with the other folks who who pay in the world. And for better or for worse, we have a very consolidated insurance market here in North Carolina. Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina is our dominant insurer, um, which makes 
it's somewhat easy for me to coordinate with them. <laughs> and so having a very good and aligned relationship with them. So it's not just even, even just getting our own, like I said, house coordinated in, and in order is great and helps the market. But then layer on the, the enormous power and maybe even bigger market signal that a Blue Cross Blue Shield can have. And if we can align yeah. together, and I don't know that we're at the tipping point yet, and that's like the, the million dollar question, like what's the tipping point at which that alignment is needed for everyone to switch, switch over to say, okay, I'm, I'm all in on healthy populations as opposed to volume. But we're on that path, and that's what I think is exciting. Um, it's hard though, uh, I don't want to be so sunshine, the people who are listening out there are saying like, ugh, she's glazing over so much of what is hard, and I know it is hard. I think I, I want to bring into this conversation the element of culture change and yeah. like culture eating policy for lunch or good ideas for lunch or evidence for lunch, whatever phrase, um, is, is that I'm, I'm also trying to be intentional about culture change. Um, and how do we think about it? So when you you ask me about how do I bring all of the how do I use my bully pulpit or my influence, well, one is to align and try to see. Well, and it wasn't like I was said, I'm here in North Carolina. I have this idea. Follow me. It was a lot of listening at first. I was like, well, where are we? Where are you headed? What do you want to do? And where is the aligning low hanging fruit? I think we went. To, to that place first, and then how do I use my levers to, to fit into that? And then it's being consistent, right? There, I can't overemphasize the importance of being aligned and being consistent. So the priorities that, that we set um, within the first six months of my getting here are still the same priorities that we have. Um, the, the, this same overarching framework around health same, same thing t two years later. And we need to do that, and two years is not enough time for change, right? This is a decade-long kind of change. Um, so I think the consistency of that helps the culture change piece and making sure you get buy-in at the high levels as well as um, the frontline folks who are doing the hard work every day of, of just trying to you know, get through their day. And um, I, think, I think the fact that I can I can go from, ugh, I remember sitting across from my patient and doing all the wrong things and not having the, the right system around me to be able to help my patient in the way that I think she probably needed. If I, I can take that experience and then zoom it out to the, the CEO experience of what they're trying to do, which is like keep their business running, keep their folks employed, um, right, and how do you bridge bridge that, that frontline experience of what a doctor or a nurse or, or a patient is experiencing, and then the same thing of like what the CEO is experiencing and how they're being incentivized, and marry those two together. I know I went a lot of places there no, for you. Actually, I'm going to try, <laughs> I'm going to make an attempt to tie them together really fast, okay. because I actually think there's a, there's a really interesting subtext to some of the things that you've said. When, when you were describing your experience with Brenda, you essentially intimated a competency that we, we typically don't have in the profession and that we don't we don't not ask people about hunger or housing or, or anything else of that nature because of a nefarious motive we just yeah. we're just not conditioned to yeah, do it yeah it's, it's not learned well if you, if you go up so there's a there's a, a competence uh, defect there and then if we go up to thinking about systemic leadership no matter which part of the system you might inhabit 
There are some competence defects that we have there, the ability to be collaborative, to be consistent, right. to be aligned. Right, um, right, that's antithesis to winning in a market. <laughs> right, and then to yeah. go back, um, I got it. they I got are it. siloed because we are siloed, yeah. and that's, that's what yeah. we see in markets um, everywhere. Yeah. Okay, well then let's let's start. Let's go deeper. <laughs> yeah. let's, I, I, by the way, I could spend like an hour yeah, talking this about fun. this whole uh, notion of collaboration, but yeah. uh, I won't put you through that today, or our listeners through that. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about. So, so obviously, one of the things that people are most excited about in this state, and the and your leadership, is the eleven fifteen Medicaid waiver. Um, as, and, I, and I know there's a lot in the waiver, so mm -hmm. we, we won't have time to get to yeah. everything. But in particular, this Healthy Opportunities Pilot, which extends now the capacity for the state to purchase non-medical services in a way highly consistent with everything we've yeah. talked about so far. Can you take just a minute to describe that sure. pilot and yeah. um, how you're setting it up and what you want to do with yeah, it? So um, we have the opportunity, sort of the first uh, first approval from CMS, to try to do some of what what we what folks have done in pilots. We are definitely standing on the sh shoulders of giants here, and collecting fantastic evidence-based work that's been done across the country, and really just trying to mush it all together into one place and s to say, can we do this comprehensively and at scale? And that's the test. Um, we, we know that, that housing interventions and food interventions, that, that they work, but we largely know that from research in the 200, 300 person sort of cohort size. Well, what, do, what can we learn if we do that with a comprehensive set of services and across a cohort of 40,000 patients? Um, that's still not that's still not everyone in my Medicaid program, which is 2.2 million, but that, that's, that's a significant number, and what can we learn from, from that? And what I'm excited about with the pilot is, one, we're, we're using the managed care infrastructure to do it, so it's not something sitting outside, unique all to its own. We're really trying to embed it in the workflow and the, and the work of what most Medicaid programs look like. Um, and really trying to be disciplined about pairing these types of service interventions, let's say housing mo uh, housing modification or housing navigation services, let's use that as an example, right? So it's, the classic is like giving new carpet to an asthmatic kid and their family, right? So how do you pair, right? I wanna pair that intervention with an asthmatic kid, not any kid in our Medicaid program. Not everyone gets carpet. It has to be an asthmatic kid, probably had two or more um, emergency room visits the year prior that meet certain criteria, right? So we're going to start to get really down into the weeds on what can we use Medicaid dollars to pay for that drive health and reduce costs. And in order to do that, we need to know what the phenotype or the archetype of the person is, right? We have a lot of high-risk pregnant moms in, in Medicaid. Well, what kinds of interventions or package of interventions are really gonna help that mom make sure that they have a pregnancy that goes to full term, that we can prevent NICU um, uh, admissions, those kinds of, of, of outcome measures? And I don't think we know the answer to that. I think we have notions of, well, stable housing is important and food, good nutrition is important and we need to make sure she gets to her prenatal visits. But what is that package 
always with our eye on, on ultimately scaling. Because at the end of, of this, I want to say that Medicaid should pay for X, Y, and Z services because it's going to have good outcomes for mom and good outcomes for baby that both are better on the health side and better on the cost side. Um, that's what we want to get to ultimately in terms of success. But in order to do that, we need to test a bunch of different, different types of interventions with different types of patient populations um, and learn um, at scale. So it's, it's a big undertaking, um, and, but we're really excited about it. And um, I think we're trying to be thoughtful about how you drop a pilot. I'm, I'm saying pilot, but it's huge. Um, how you drop an intervention right. of that size into a state and be successful. Yeah, this is not just implementing yeah. a digital uh, technology yeah. and yeah, the breadth and applicability this is going to have on, yeah. on the lives of North Carolinians is, is profound. Yeah. So much in that I want to unpack. Yeah. First thing is, so when you, when you describe that, that for Medicaid the ultimate goal is to improve health, which we've talked about. So your, your mission, at the end of this, you would want to have seen that, 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 that you have demonstrated that the inclusion of these other um, non-medical interventions that have an evidence base yep. not only lowered cost, not only improved quality, but improved health in the mm -hmm. community. What is the metric yep. you would use to measure, uh, yep. yeah. to determine whether you were successful or not? Yeah, so I mean, there's an, depending on the medical condition and such, right? So there's a combination of um, uh, just looking at overall like hospital days and ED utilization and, um, but then health outcomes, right? How many, you know, days of missed work, self-reported health outcomes, are you able to do the things you wanted to do in your life, right? Those simple things, like that's what I want to buy for our folks, um, is, is answers to questions that say, yes, I'm able to play with my kids, go to work, and live the life with abundance and purpose that I wanted to. Um, now, if I have my diabetic patient, I'm going to have diabetic outcomes. If I have my cardiovascular patient, sure, I'll have cardiovascular outcomes. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure that it's that that I care deeply about the this patient self-reported health and productivity, um, right? Because ultimately, if I, I want this to scale beyond Medicaid, I want to prove to the employers out there that doing some of these things is actually going to give you a healthier workforce or less less days of absenteeism from your primary worker because their child or their spouse or another family member is sick right so there's i have i have aspirations that this learning can go beyond medicaid so we're trying to capture those positive outcomes um, in a number of ways. But you can also geek out on tons of measures that we have um, posted on our website <laughs> and, uh, and how we're thinking about doing our, our evaluation of the, of the pilot overall. Okay, uh, and, and we will. And I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, many of like, those listening uh, right now will also do that. Um, I, I wanna just put quick emphasis on the notion of you're buying abundance and purpose. Let's start breaking this down into a couple component pieces. Let's start maybe with um, screening for um, mm -hmm. social or, or behavioral needs that, you know, in Brenda's case. So mm -hmm. what would a Brenda's experience be like? Who's facilitating the screening? What's the tool that's been developed or being borrowed mm -hmm. from the evidence yep. base to um, to create that viewpoint yeah. of the patient. So before I get into the screening, just to step back, we, so we have an agenda, I think a comprehensive agenda 
to address social determinants across a, a very wide portfolio. The pilots is probably the most narrow look. And screening is, is one of those things that we felt there was enough evidence to that we could take to scale state right, statewide right away. So it was okay. actually one of the first things we did. And so screening is not, a, not tied to the pilot, but rather we were looking at screening, again, not even tied to just Medicaid. We wanted to do screening in a standardized way across all patient populations, no matter your payer source. Um, and so we did pull together a lot of different payers and stakeholders in creating the most streamlined screening tool that we could, drawn from evidence-based tools that have already been piloted. Um, so we came up with an eight, nine question screening tool. Now it's not everything you ever needed, but that's intentional. It's meant to be as pared down as you yeah. could, nine questions. Now we've been piloting it in a number of different sites. The idea is, is to have a way to co collect th that information in a way that is standardized no matter what door you walk in. If you walk in a doctor's office you, or you onboard in ter terms of your, your insurer you know, is doing a welcome uh, phone call with you or you walk into a community health center or you walk into our social services um, uh, departments right in our counties or you walk into a school ultimately I mean those are things we'll, we'll get to but the idea in creating this screening tool was a was a no wrong door tool okay um, the way we are thinking about it is it, it could be self-administered you know something someone does as they are checking in for their appointment for example um, so we've piloted in that mechanism it could be something administered by a care manager or a nurse tech as they're doing your vitals, it's just part of some of the screening things. So um, different folks will likely do it in different ways. It is something that we are requiring of all of our managed care companies in Medicaid to do. So they're, they're meant to screen their entire Medicaid population. Um, so, but it is also something I know, going back to Blue Cross and alignment, I know they are looking at in their Medicare Advantage population potentially, so we're having conversations there. I hope to see this tool used in the commercial space. We know that 15 to 20 percent of those with commercial insurance still struggle with food security, housing security, these issues. So I think it's going to be important to just make this part of what everyone does. Don't be Mandy Cohen who didn't ask. Um, let's do this in a standard, um, standard way. But the second part of this is that once you ask those questions, if someone says, hey, doc, I'm, I'm, I am running out of food at the end of the month, you need to be able to know how to, how to handle someone, someone saying, yeah, I need help. Um, and so we couldn't do screening without thinking about the second part, which is navigating to resources. And that's a scary thing. And I'll, I'll just go back to my moment as a, as a doctor where I was like, oh my God, my patient doesn't have enough food, what do I do? <laughs> um, and having that sort of moment of panic. And I'll tell you, what I literally did back for my patient Brenda was Google, right? I put in her zip code and I put in food bank and that was what, and I printed something out and I said, here, here I hope this works out for you. Um, so what we are trying to do here is, an, is a second piece of this agenda. So screening, we know we could take statewide. The second piece of this agenda that we're taking statewide is an IT platform to help with that navigation. Um, we are cre created something called NC Care 360, um, which is a partnership between 211 United Way and a platform called Unite, Unite yeah, Us. Okay. 
we're calling NC Care 360. Unite Us is sort of like the backbone of the of the IT platform in terms of closed group referrals, which I'll get into. And 211 United Way has like deep roots in our community and knowing the organization. So it was a nice partnership um, together um, to build this platform. But we want to have an easy way when someone screens positive for food insecurity for you to use a, a tool that's embedded in your EHR to, to navigate that person to a food bank or whatever food resources in their community. Um, so instead of my Googling, I could have gone to NC Care 360 in my, in my EHR and I could refer my patient to a food bank. It would go out to a, a number of food banks. They would pick up that referral. They'd know that Brenda was coming their way. They would, they would accept that referral. I would know they would accept it as, their, as the doctor. Um, when Brenda showed up, they could enter a note to be like, hey, Brenda came and this is how often she's coming. Um, and so I know, just like I'd want to know, did Brenda make it to the cardiologist? Did Brenda make it to the food bank? I think mean, if this is critical to her health, someone's got to quarterback it, um, right? Just like you'd want someone to quarterback what happened at the cardiologist, did she fill her meds? This is, this is part, of, part of that. And so this is our way of starting to knit together, back to my vision statement of knitting together and using an IT resource. Now, I'm, I'm not a fan of having all problems solved by IT resources, but this was the one place where we thought an IT resource could truly help us knit together. And what is happening is that the health system folks are actually finally sitting in a room with some of our community-based services and saying, oh, you're available, you have capacity? You, oh. and, and same thing for, this, for the community services being like, oh, oh, there's opportunities for me to refer here and there. And it, it's just creating this wonderful relationship building that I hope to, to bridge beyond just this IT platform, but actually forge some real relationships. And I think the thing that we are spending most of our time on is making sure that we're thinking about those relationships and communities and, and, and making sure that knitting together is not just a... a an IT platform, but it is actually, how do we, again, how do we get out of our silos? We're all doing good work, but we're in our silos. How do we break those down, talk the same language, and actually use a, an IT tool to actually help us navigate around? So we have the screening, and we have this NC Care 360 IT tool, and that was something that we said we can take this statewide. It's actually a private-public partnership. It's a lot of philanthropic dollars um, there, and it is housed at the Foundation for Healthcare Leadership and Innovation. So it actually lives outside of DHHS, though we are super heavily involved in driving it forward. And we're gonna be statewide in the next 18 months. We're already in 18 counties and, and counting. So we're pretty excited about it. And, and I will say the hospital systems here in particular have been really great partners. They see the see how this could be valuable in terms of linking into EHRs. But it's not as easy as just putting in the EHRs as everyone listening out there knows, right? It's, it's all about workflow and how does that work work out. So those that's the, the time commitment that has been exciting from the health system side to help us figure out what are those workflows and um, how do we make this really a part of, of what, what we do for our patients. It's been exciting. Two things you said that, that I 
I think are interesting. One is that tech, technology is not um, technology is not the solution, and that's one of the bigger problems we have right now, with with the incredible innovation taking place across the country. Is that technology has to be enable be able to enable the solution. Right. The solution has to be contingent on workflows and and how yeah. the, the normal course of business and technology to the, the to the degree can make us more efficient. Great, and so you found that here. The second thing is just this, what you're doing on the community referral platform side I think is exciting. Um, this is a space that has grown rapidly. Yes, yes. Um, and I, I can't think of a, I can't think of a health system or a community we've interacted with in the project that hasn't thought about this in some mm -hmm. way. One of the things that's kept us up a little bit at night about this is that if I have a community or a state and a bunch of different hospitals or a bunch of different MCOs are adopting, you know, one's adopting NowPow mm -hmm. and one's adopting mm -hmm. Unite Us, mm -hmm. um, that becomes difficult. So really? as at the state level, you've kind of operated as a convener and you've, mm -hmm. you've now advanced, and I don't want to sell it short, but, but essentially what's tantamount to a utility that can be used throughout the state. Is that, yeah. So, Mandy's pointing at me and, and <laughs> smiling, which means she, she agrees. Um, no, I, I mean, so but, uh, what I would say is that, yes, we were hearing from health systems that like, oh, we're thinking about these different tools. And my, my, we're like, my fear was at first that everyone was going to sign up with whatever, you know, whatever tool made most sense for their workflow, which I, I, I understand. Yeah. But then imagine the mom and pop food bank logging into five different <laughs> right. portals. Then you and created like, a new layer oh of the interoperability yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> so, so we said, let's step back. Can we, can we do this collectively? Can we run, like, do this at, as, at, and do it and subsidize it, right? Use philanthropic dollars to subsidize it so that we can all agree, can we try this, this um, platform? We did, a, we did a competitive process um, for, for the vendor. Um, before we chose it to try to find the right one for North Carolina that met our, our, our goals. I'm really happy with our, our partnership here with Unite Us, 211 and United Way. And um, I think it's been really helpful because I think health systems see the, the, the utility in having one system that everyone's using. Now, some folks have, have used other platforms and there are ways for us to still do that integration so it doesn't push everyone out of the market or uh, if people have made investments. So, so we don't have to worry about that, but we, we are trying to be thoughtful about aligning, again, back to that alignment and trying not to be in our silos. Can we agree that we are gonna create this space where we are using one platform um, so that we can simplify all, all lives for particularly our community members? Um, because I think if, you know, we try to have, like I said, them log into five portals, it's just not, yeah. gonna, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and it's not gonna get the connectedness that you want out there. So. But look, we also know we're running a bit of an experiment here in North Carolina. We're the first to try to take this statewide. Um, and so we're, we're, like I said, I think we're 18 counties in. We are 100 counties, so we're only a fifth of the way there. We have a plan over the next 18 months to get there. We just, uh, our team just came back from the western part of the state. and had, Right, so there, the west is next. Um, we went central, we went east, now we're going west. Um, and so in 18 months, we should do this podcast again. I can let you know okay. how we are. <laughs> All right. Sold. Um, I'm, I'm taking yeah. you up on that. But it's exciting. I, I, it, it's, never, it's never perfect. When you try these the first time, we're going to hit some bumps and, and try to figure it out as we, as we go. But 
this was one of the places where I was like, I'm going to put a bet down on this. I think it's worth it, and um, we'll we'll see how the market reacts to it. I, so far, it's been incredibly positive. I, I think it's a it's a powerful thesis, um, and I think that last piece is, is what you said. I think um, what some of the some of the challenges we obviously have in our system sometimes is that either when government does these things or these things are produced organically through the market, that you have a bit of an adoption or, or utilization problem. Mm -hmm. um, two interesting things you said that I, I think make this different. One is, again, you're not just leading and driving tech, you're driving and leading tech in service of something bigger, but two, you've described that the market has reacted really positively, that hospital systems yeah. have reacted positively. I think those are the kinds of things that can be difference makers for this type of platform. Yeah. And it's not saying you must, right? There is no, it hasn't been no, compulsory. No, okay. if anything, it's like a clamoring to get earlier in line. They want to be earlier in the rollout phase. And so um, a number of the hospitals that we started with first were just like raised their hand, wanted to be first, were thinking about this anyway That's and great. ready to go. That's so I'll great. say Cone Health System, I want to give them a shout out, have been amazing. They were the first ones we worked with. and. Um, Kathy Colville and the team there are just like rock stars um, and they are now teaching the rest of the state like how does this work um, alongside of us so it's just inc it's incredible and that's why I hats off to the the folks here in North Carolina they're collaborative they're 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 all trying to work towards the same goal which is really unique and um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. We're now Wake Med here in, in right in Raleigh, also fantastic, really good partners. Um, so we're excited, and and we've used health systems as the anchor to start with, right? Because you get the biggest swath of of, of providers that way. Um, so, um, and and like I said, I, I think it's been a good private-public partnership. We're like, we're not putting state dollars into this. I'm not man making it mandatory. Again, we're this is why I think if you if you try things like this when there's a market need and you fill that need, you don't have to say you must. Mm. Oh wait, I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna amend myself, sorry. Yeah, to say please. I am requiring our insurance companies in managed care to use NC Care three sixty. So they they may hear that and say, wait a second, <laughs> there's a you must <laughs> to the insurance company. And that is okay. fair. So I'm having the insurance companies as you must. Okay. The health systems is a Come, come on board and, and, and try this out okay. with us. Okay, sorry. No, <laughs> don't, don't be at all. Um, I, think, uh, I think that is, that's really important too because yeah. having that as an anchor will also yeah. create a market. You, said, you talked about bring the ecosystem along. Yeah. That's the kind of policy that, that brings the ecosystem along. So, so speaking of managed care, mm -hmm. I, I do, I know our time is waning and I at least want to be able to land two more key questions I had. On the healthy opportunities pilot, so going back to that, out, yeah. outside of all the statewide stuff, you're going to be picking a small handful of regions. You talked about the notion that we'll be screening, we'll be identifying. Mm -hmm. What are those potential interventions? And then there's yeah. going to be this exercise of, of, of a caregiver of some kind, or somebody working with a patient. We've identified a need. We have to reach into our toolbox to pull out an intervention mm -hmm. or a tool. How is that going to be facilitated, mm -hmm. and how how will you be trying to ensure fidelity mm -hmm. to the evidence in a process? Yes, great questions. Um, so first, I think important. So we're, we're like I said, embedding it within the care management model of managed care already, right? So the folks that w would be funneling into the pilot would be would would be happening through our managed care companies, care managers. Now that we're going to 
pay more to the insurance companies because there's going to be work to do, right? So they're now not just navigating them to specialists and making sure they're getting their meds and checking their blood pressure. Now they're going to be navigating them and, and screening them and pairing them with the service that they that they need. Got it. Another important reason yeah. why they're going to use NC Care 360. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. That is why they yeah. must. Yeah. Yeah. So the intent of the pilot is to procure an entity. We're calling it the lead pilot entity, not very artful, but lead pilot entity that essentially it's their job to build a network of social service providers or human service providers. So they are just like an insurance company would build a network of doctors and hospitals and that would be their network. These lead pilot entities, like their major job is to build a network of housing providers and mm. food service people, maybe it's food delivery people, or transportation provider, or, or employment service, whatever the, the, the intervention. And it's their job to build that network, as well as track and bill, right? So we kind of have to, we have to set up that system because again, we really need to have the through line between the care manager saying, hey, I have a patient, they're ready for the pilot. It's a high-risk pregnant mom. She needs X, Y, and Z services. Those X, Y, and Z services go to the lead pilot entity. Say, hey, she lives in this zip code. What, what, who, who can deliver this package of services to her? Lead pilot entity tells the food delivery people, hey, you need to deliver food at this time to this patient. Um, and then the Got food pr food provider does the direct delivery of the service. So you have your care manager, the lead pilot entity, who's sort of like the router, the network builder, and then the router, and then the service provider, say it's the, 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 the human service organization that does the actual food delivery, for example. Okay. Um, so that's sort of the mechanics of how that will work. The money flows from, just on the money side, money flows to the, the PHPs, to the lead pilot entities, and then down into the the frontline service delivery provider. And, and the care managers reside, when, when you say they reside at the managed care level, yeah. are they are they engaging with patients electronically or are they, are they operating under the auspices of the MCO but are they embedded in a care setting? Are they face-to-face -face with the patient? Great, great question. I don't think we're, we've, we've decided okay. that because for some patients it may be embedded in the, depending on what kind of practice they go to, it yeah. may be embedded in their practice and then that is the, that is the navigator or the, the, the central case manager for the, those patients. Other times the patient do, is not in a practice that has embedded case management face-to-face -face, and so then it'll be telephone. Be an FQ in a rural area or yeah, something. Yeah, so then it'll have to be telephone. So I think those are some of the things we're working through in the design process. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then on the managed care, ex uh, the managed care rollout just generally, um, Looks like you'll you'll be live this year. Mm -hmm. um, just talk a little bit about uh, that rollout. Some of the things that you've sought to do a bit differently in instituting managed care in this state, and what were some of the impediments for North Carolina getting to this? Yeah. Um, so yes, we're on track for a November one um, rollout. We'll roll out in a couple regions uh, in November. The rest of the state, February of next year. We have some things going on in our General Assembly in terms of needing to have a budget in order to move forward, and we don't currently have one of those. Uh, but what we are still marching forward to November 1st um, in terms of timelines, but there's a little asterisk there of, okay. um, for for, view, for listeners who may be listening yeah. November 1st and then are like, there's no managed care here. Mm -hmm. um, Wouldn't be fun if there wasn't so, an asterisk. You know, yeah. um, so w as we've been doing the rollout, 
you know, we have this opportunity in North Carolina to learn from so many states that have gone before us. Um, so we got to see what went well, what didn't go well. So things that we were trying to embed from the very beginning. One was an integration of physical and behavioral health, right? So we didn't want to have a carve out from the beginning. We spent a lot of time thinking about how to design the carve together. So that's first and foremost. Um, second, we were putting a pretty big emphasis on local care management to your earlier question, and we have an advanced medical home program to try to get care management as local and as in-person in and face-to-face -face as, as humanly possible, no pun intended. Um, and then the third component is around paying for value, right? I think none of this really works unless you get the incentives right. And that's a newer space in the Medicaid program, so I'm looking at places like Massachusetts and Oregon and others that, that have gone before us, Arizona. How have you moved to value in your Medicaid program and how can we learn from you and follow behind? And so we have some very, I think, aggressive goals to get to alternative payment models by the end of our second year within managed care. Again hoping to have us all move in a direction that aligns with where the commercial space is going, where Medicare is going. Um, so those are the big features, and then it's obviously all of these healthy opportunities or social determinants space is to make sure that that's at the forefront. Okay. Well, Secretary Cohen, number one, uh, thank you for taking the time. Number two, just pencil it on your calendar that I will be back in 18 <laughs> months to, to, to see Check how things will obviously be watching closely between now and then. Last question I'd ask you, and I didn't put it on the list of questions I submitted in advance, so I hope you'll, you'll just indulge me. You're having this incredible experience mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a healthcare professional, as a, as a health professional. What is maybe the, the <laughs> most important thing you think you've, you've learned or observed mm -hmm. or taken away from this experience that you kind of wish all of us would, would have or know, given the, the work we're all trying to do in this space? So. I, I keep going back to the, I don't think anything that we are, are doing here is, is new. I have just been lucky enough to, to stand on the shoulders of others and to learn their lessons, both what to do and what not to do. And then to stay focused and prioritized um, as, as you're doing that work and to continually recenter yourselves on values. We didn't get into that conversation, but I'm a big proponent and those who work for me know I talk about our shared values a lot. We have six of them in our department and I think those continue to ground us back when before you get into any of the details of the pilot and, ah, and all of this stuff hmm. is to continue to ground back in what are our priorities, what are our values, where's our North Star and just slowly keep walking down that train. Don't get derailed by the fires that'll come up because they do um, and how do you keep moving forward in as much of a collaborative way as, as possible. Um, it's the simple things that really matter. Focus, prioritization, accountability, uh, and, um, and, and, and looking at evidence and, and, and using that to your advantage. So I don't think anything I could, this whole podcast is all stuff based on just watching other people do incredible work and saying like, why don't we do that here in North Carolina? Uh, and and just staying focused on that. Well, I no, number one, they're 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 wise words. It's good counsel. I I think, and I I would completely agree that that so that, that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. I think the work of of our current health generation, the work of people like you, and the work of your colleagues and and others of us in the field, 
has to be how do we take all of the incredible things we've built, developed, resources, science, evidence, and put that together in service of communities in a way that, that allows us to be collaborative um, and, and drive the kind of alignment that we know will bring uh, lower cost, better, mm -hmm. um, uh, better quality, better, better health. health. That's so, right. No, it's great. Secretary Cohen, thank you for uh, taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for letting me be your first guest. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.